This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, you guys are in for a treat. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Lisa Radasta, who's a board-certified veterinary behaviorist and veterinary mom, and she's one of only about 90 board-certified veterinary behaviorists in the world. So you definitely want to tune in to learn about all things behavior when it comes to your dog or your cat. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we have Dr. Lisa Radasta. Dr. Radasta, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So just so our audience knows who you are, do you mind giving us a little bit of background about who you are, where you work, what you do, and what you do as a veterinary behaviorist? Absolutely. I am a working mom, like so many of us out there. I have a behavior specialty practice. I've had it since 2006, and we have five doctors, including me, and three locations. And uh, we stay really busy. There's a great need. There's so many pets, especially since COVID that need help. As a veterinary behaviorist, you should think of me sort of as a veterinary psychiatrist. We use medication, behavior modification, and management to improve the health and welfare of pets. And that really means treating those serious problems like separation anxiety, aggression, noise phobia, urinating and defecating outside the box, all of those things that really cause detriment to the bond we have with our pets. So important. I know there aren't a lot of you in the United States and in the world. So love what you do. Now, I do have a question. If you need to consult as a pet owner with a veterinary behaviorist, how does one go about finding a veterinary behaviorist? And how is that different from a, like a animal trainer? Yeah, great question. The difference is going to be a difference in uh, knowledge base and in the end result of what we do, like the actions we take. So there is no replacement for a qualified positive reinforcement dog training professional. They can help you implement so many strategies. And really, ideally, the veterinary behaviorist works with the dog training professional. What is unfortunate, but I think is going to change very soon, is that dog training professionals are not licensed or regulated. There is a movement started by 
dog training professionals to have the industry regulated. And I think that's really exciting because there's so many misguided, let's say, trainers who are using shock collars and herding dogs. And I'm so excited to see kind of a standard of practice. So if you have a dog who needs obedience help, if you have a cat, there's cat trainers too, by the way, who has unruly behavior that isn't interlaced with fear, anxiety, or stress, you're going to go to a dog training professional. You're going to first start with your veterinarian and ask them if they know someone. And then you can go to my website and you can find a handout and a link to another website with another handout telling you how to find a good dog trainer in your area, not giving you names, but giving you the questions to ask. So a veterinary behaviors, we went to vet school, so we're veterinarians, right? And then you do a residency three to five years, depending on where you do your residency. And then there's criteria, you pass the board exam, you publish a paper, yada, yada. Then you are a specialist. So we're going to look at the entire picture the health of the pet from a veterinarian standpoint, a medical standpoint. And we're also going to look at the emotional wellness of the pet. We're going to use diagnostic tests, physical exam, and then we're going to use management, behavior modification, medication to alter the behavior of the pet. And the the veterinary behavior should work as a team with your vet and with you and with the dog training professional, with your pet at the center of that team. You say yada, yada, but, you know, publishing a paper is very difficult. So (laughs) it's actually quite hard to get a publication, do a research study, publish it in a peer reviewed scientific veterinary journal. So she says yada, yada, but it was a lot of work (laughs) for her, for everyone to become board certified. All right. So great information. Uh, My general quick tool, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but like with animal trainers, specifically dog trainers, I always say, make sure, please avoid one that uses negative reinforcement or physical force or pinch collars or choke chains or things like that. So when in doubt, you always want to do your research appropriately and you want to go train your dog. So I don't like in Minnesota, we see a lot of hunting dogs that are shipped off to like hunting dog camp and they come back trained. Um, I always say that trains your dog to listen to that person, but not necessarily you and your family. So the most important thing is also making sure you and your family know how to train your dog. So important that everybody go. Yeah. So it's about consistency too. So the first thing is guys, I'll just give you for those listeners, get out your pen and paper. I'm going to give you some ideas. Number one, you want to go to a positive reinforcement trainer. Here's why. First of all, who wants to hurt their dog? Like that's weird, right? Why would you want to hurt your dog? I don't tell my daughter when she was little, stick your finger in that light socket. So then when you get shocked, you won't go right. Really? Who? Oh my God, who would do that? So we don't want to use things that hurt our pets. Number two, positive reinforcement in head to head In head-to-head trials, positive reinforcement is more effective. So why would you avoid the more effective way of changing behavior when compared to more negative ways of physical force? Okay, so that's number one. Choose that type of trainer. Number two, your trainer should have a certification. Certifications are voluntary. So that means your trainer went out of her or his way to learn more. I love that. I love saying, I don't know it all, right? I want to learn more. I want that person on my team because they're going to be up to date. They should be going to continuing education. Ask them, when's the last time you took a seminar, right? Don't you want a professional who's learning the latest and greatest and who's energized to try these new things with your pet? You're also going to ask them if they guarantee results. If they say yes, just 
hang up the phone, get in your car and make a U-turn and go home. Because there is no living being, no human being who can guarantee that another entity will behave in a certain way. I cannot guarantee my own behavior in eight hours, as my husband will attest. He thinks he can guarantee my behavior. But if you can't guarantee your own behavior, certainly you can't speak for someone else. So those are just three tips that you can use to find a good trainer. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, I did want to ask, what are the most common behavioral problems that you do see in dogs and cats? The number one behavior problem, not just me, but if you look at studies of practices in North America and Europe, number one in dogs is going to be aggression. Why? Because look, that endangers our child, endangers us, endangers our friends. It feels really, really serious, right? And then for cats, it's elimination outside of the litter box, but aggression is coming to a close second with cats. And I think it's because so many pet parents understand what their cat needs as far as the litter box. And so many veterinarians understand what to do that we're seeing aggression come up in cats and cats, although beloved, and I'm not sure you might know better than I do at some, at one point they outnumbered dogs in the U S as pets, they're beloved we collect them three and four and five cats, but we don't understand them. And that's causing, that is contributing to aggression toward us, the pet parents, which causes cats to get relinquished to shelters. It's a never ending kind of cycle. Yeah. It's so frustrating because I feel like so many animals, so many dogs and cats are surrendered to animal shelters because of behavioral issues and with the right environment, with the right training, making sure they're set up for success. I I do feel like we could diminish seeing animals even at the animal rescue or animal shelters out there. So definitely a hard point out there. Now, what are the top three don'ts for pet parents? You mentioned the top behavioral problems that you end up seeing, but what are some things that pet parents definitely should not do when it comes to the behavioral health of their dog and cat? Yeah. So you should not assume that your sleeping dog or cat wants to cuddle with you. This is a very common bite situation. Let sleeping dogs and cats lie. If an animal is relaxing, leave it alone. I know they're cute. My cat is right over there. He's lying on top of my husband's computer and he's totally cute. But petting him startles him, right? While he's sleeping. And if you just think about yourself, I don't want to be, I want to, if I'm sleeping, leave me the heck alone. I want to sleep, take my nap, right? That's number one. Number two, do not assume that your pet is acting out of spite or that they know that you don't want them to do that. This is a common misconception. My dog knows how to sit, but when I asked him to sit, he just wouldn't, right? Well, here's my thing. If he knew how to sit and you were doing your job of giving him a treat after he sits or tossing the ball, why wouldn't he sit? Is he just like not smart enough to know that you're going to toss a ball? Is he trying to be spiteful or mean? No, you didn't teach him completely that behavior. And what I, I try to draw the analogy of a test, right? My daughter, when she was in fourth grade, didn't get an algebra test. Why? She wasn't taught algebra. She was tested on what she knew. So how does that translate to a dog pet parent? You teach your dog to sit for his food bowl. Good. I love that little bit of impulse control. Your friend comes over 
who he loves. She knocks on the door. He's barking. Ah, rah, 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 rah. I'm so excited. Oh my God. Oh my God. And you say, Fido, sit. And he can't sit. Why? Because you never taught him in that situation to sit. So then what are you going to do? Fido, sit, 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 sit. Well, now he's like, why is she acting like such a fool? Oh my God. She's scaring me. Now you've caused conflict. You have caused a behavior problem. You expected of your dog what you never taught him. And now you're upset with him for doing something he didn't even know that he shouldn't do. Okay. So do that. Number three, people aren't consistent. Don't be inconsistent. So what does that really mean? It means that here's an example. Here's an example. My kiddo, 14, I'm mom structure, structure mom. So she's doing homework. It's late at night. I say, okay, where are you at? Let's write everything down. Okay. What do you have left to do? How many hours do you think that'll take you? And okay. So then finish it out, hammer it out. You can do it. Go, go, go. My husband walks up. I leave the room. He walks up and he goes, you know, my husband's very relaxed. He's like this. He goes, you know, you should take a shower now. Why don't you stop doing your homework and go take a shower and then come back to it? Now, my daughter's 14 and she's lived with my husband and I her whole life. So she's like, my parents are whacked out. I'm just going to do what I want to do. But dogs don't know that. So for example, here I am, I'm on the couch watching TV and Maverick walks up, my dog, and I'm like, no, you know that you are not allowed on the couch. Don't even, come on. But when I'm not there, Maverick's on the couch with my husband. That kind of inconsistency causes dogs to develop conflict and frustration. And the more you read, if you're out there reading on the internet, conflict and frustration cause serious behavior disorders. The dog's like, when is it right? When is it not right? Why are you upset with me when just 10 minutes ago I was on the couch with dad? So everybody needs to be on the same page. And this all applies to cats, you guys. I'm using dog, but it all applies to cats. Not only dogs and cats, but also children. Yes, I know. My daughter's like, you two are whacked out. Thanks for your advice. <laughs> you know, I will say as a, a, we are both working moms, I also have a son, a toddler son. And when I was doing like a mom's group, everyone probably thought it was crazy because I associate a lot of child bearing with dog training. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities. Yes. Oh my gosh. Tons. Of, and my husband even said to me, cause I didn't know how to, I just didn't know how to, once they get to be teenagers, they're just aliens. And I just didn't know how to navigate a situation with her. And I was standing there trying in the kitchen. I remember trying to figure it out. And he goes, what would you do if it was an aggressive dog? <laughs> I was like, Good is point. this what it's come to? Really? <laughs> Way to prepare me for teenage years. I love it. <laughs> All right. So we talked about the three don'ts. What are your top three tips for pet parents to help their pets live their best lives? Yeah. Number one tip, love your pet for who they are. So when I had my daughter, I was militant working mom. I didn't allow any dolls. And I read these books about how Disney harms people, which it doesn't, right? But I was like, ah, militant. And I didn't allow all these things. And I thought she would be never love a princess. Well, of course, she loved princesses, right? Like a lot of little girls do, despite my militant attitude. And that was a moment where I had to really think about who are you going to be? Are you going to love this kid for whoever she is, for real and for true? Or are you going to try to make her into what you want her to be? I chose to love her for who she is. She is a militant feminist now at 14. She's morphed into that, but not because I made it, because she chose it. So how does that apply to my animals? It applies really well to cats. 
many, many cats bite when they are being petted, right? And we think, look, I want to pet you. I should be allowed to pet you. But I'm saying respect and love your cat for who he is. He doesn't want to be petted at that time. He doesn't want to be petted on his back. He doesn't want to be petted on his head. Whatever his preferences are, see that and go with that. You want your dog to go to Starbucks or wherever you get your coffee each morning, but your dog may not enjoy that. It's okay. It's all right. And I even say to my clients, grieve for it because you wanted it. You expected it. It's not going to happen now. Grieve for it. Once you accept that and love your pet for who they are, wow, you really can bond with them. Number two, keep your pet enriched. This is true for both cats and dogs, but mega true for cats. And the so the cool thing about cats is there are studies that show that feline idiopathic cystitis, which is this painful disorder of the urinary tract, responds really well to changes in the environment, to environmental enrichment, creating an environment where your cat can be happier. So try to do that. How do you do that? Rotate your toys. Give your cat safe time on your lanai or Florida room or on your deck if it's screened in or on a leash or something like that so that he can experience outside. For your dog, it means feeding your dog out of food toys. And it means exercise in a way that makes your dog happy. If your dog's reactive on walks, then that isn't making him happy. He needs to be exercised in your house. Okay. And number three thing that I would like for you to do is to advocate for your pet based on what you see and think and feel. So I had a pet come in the other day, a patient, and this dog loved grooming for a long time. It's the cutest little poof ball. So cute, white dog, just poofy. And the pet parent said, you know, I've talked to my vet. I think my dog is painful. And I don't understand why this dog who loved grooming is now biting the groomer. And I think it's very easy to say it's all in your head. It's a little dog. He's spoiled. Like, I don't say all the things you want to say, right? He is a little dog who's spoiled, but that isn't making him bite the groomer. What was making him bite the groomer after I watched him walk, I saw clearly that his gait was off. So I'm a veterinary behaviorist. I'm a veterinarian. So I did my exam and I said, I feel his patella is moving. I don't know that that is it because they're not really moving like I would expect. So I'm going to refer you to a surgeon. Those are our, kind of our pain specialists here in vet med. That's where we start. And there are pain specialists and rehab specialists, but I, I usually start with a surgeon. So off to the surgeon, she goes, I just heard from the surgeon the other day, this little dog has an iliopsoas. This is a muscle strain on the side where the groomer would be when he would bite her. So that pet parent knew the truth. She knew in her heart, she couldn't express it in a way where she could make a diagnosis but she knew in her heart, there was something wrong. And if you think there's something wrong, there probably is. And you have to advocate for your pet. Thank you so much for bringing all of this up. It's something that most pet owners don't realize they can talk to the veterinarians about. Like most pet owners don't even understand the importance of dog training, of making sure we're providing the right environment, especially for cats and litter boxes and you know how we should be feeding them. And it could just be little things where you can find the greatest resources out there. Now, I know Dr. Radasa has already mentioned it, but I'm going to plug it again. Please check out floridavetbehavior.com. So flvetbehavior.com. She has awesome resources out there for pet owners. So you can check that out. Um, I 
I'm also going to advocate for the Ohio State a website where they have some great information for environmental enrichment. And I didn't realize I was making this mistake as a veterinarian. Um, I have my litter boxes. I have the appropriate number. I use the right uh, type of litter. But I didn't realize um, that I had put it in an area where I also have a HEPA filter. And I purposely put the HEPA filter, the air filter down there just to minimize the amount of dust, even though I use dust-free litter, but I'm neurotic about um, my cat inhaling any of that smell. And I had it on a timer. And I often forgot that just the noise of the fan going off or the space heater or the water heater, that's not the ideal location for your cat's litter box. So again, she has great information at that website. So vetfloridabehavior.com. Again, you can also check out Ohio State's environmental enrichment website. Dr. Vanessa, any other resources that you recommend pet owners go to? Yeah. So fear-free happy homes is a great one. Fearfreehappyhomes.com. It's free and they have tons of really, really good information there. I love that one. I have on my website, it's like a jumping off point for other websites. Oh, San Francisco SPCA. Oh, they got some good stuff there. Like they have a puppy toolkit. Like they have a lot of videos on YouTube that are fantastic. And I think also if you're on social media and you follow the vet scoop, you can follow us, you know, a Florida Veterinary Behavior Service, and you'll start to kind of glean bits of information from there as well, for sure. And you want to actually, you know, bring to your vet's attention if you can. Look, we're approachable. I love it when my pet parents walk in the room and go, I found this article. I know some people don't like that, but I like to be able to say, okay, let's talk about that. Or yikes, I didn't know about that. Oh my gosh, I need to look at that. So some things you can bring to your veterinarian's attention are fear-free pets, fearfreepets.com. That's the veterinary side of fear-free. There's so many resources for your vet there that will eventually help you as your vet gets more knowledgeable. And I'm going to plug the webinars I did. I, I don't make any money off of them now, but they're so good. I send everyone to Vet Girl on the Run because I did three psychopharm lectures and that's where your vet is lacking. Your vet probably doesn't know anything about veterinary drugs. So if you send them to those websites, they can have the best education possible. And then you educate yourself as well with the ones we mentioned. Yes, it's so important that you find the right resources because there's some wrong information out there too. So when in doubt, always check with your veterinarian, always check with the veterinary behaviorist, or make sure you're going to credible sites. Again, the ones that Dr. Radasta mentioned, .edu websites are also great. .org websites are often very, very solid. So when in doubt, you definitely want to do that. And I should mention, uh, both Dr. Radasta and I are members of VetScoop. And VetScoop's a group of leading veterinarians who provide a real talk resource for pet advice that you can trust. So again, you always want to find trustworthy, medically accurate information out there because unfortunately there is some erroneous information. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. 
Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. All right. Last question I wanted to talk to you about. Since you and I both have kids, you know, it's always a bit nerve wracking when I see pictures on social media where someone has a baby or a newborn or an infant or toddler right in front of, uh, I'm not naming any breeds, Siberian Husky, in front of a (laughs) Siberian Husky's face (laughs) or any breed, right? And I will say um, I'm a huge advocate of adoption. I absolutely love pit bulls. I have them only as puppies um, when I get them so I can train them appropriately. But I will say I was a little bit initially concerned when my son was about 15 months and just starting to walk. Uh, My dog did have some issues. What is the best way to introduce a child to your dog or a cat? Thank you for this question because the most common human being bitten are kids. Every study, they keep doing them again and again, same result, kids. We are seeing now in the most recent study I read, elderly, but they get bitten a different place. Kids get bitten in the face, right? They're short, they're going in for the kiss or the hug, and that's when they get the face bite. So here's the thing. Number one, your dog has like 18 years to get to know your kid. The moment you walk in, please do not shove your baby in your dog or cat's face. They've got a lot of time to get to know them. First impressions are so important. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. So let's not make it scary. So the first thing you'll do when you come home with your little one is you will just do your baby thing. Take care of your child. Say hello to your dog. If you have someone to help you, a partner or your mom or your sister or whatever, to take the dog on a walk and then come into the house together, that's great. Let the cat come out when they're ready to come out. If the dog wants to sniff the baby and this is a completely safe dog, I might, hear me, might allow it. I'm really not into that because as a mom and as a vet behaviorist, I have seen the worst. I have sat, I remember a dad so struck me. He cried in the exam room. He held up a picture of his son's face. And it's hard for me now to like keep it together because his emotion was so strong. Talk about it emotional contagion. It really affected me as a parent because he thought he could trust, quote unquote, that's the word, trust his dog. But the truth is that dogs get scared of the things that kids do. They're erratic. They shove their faces in the dog's face, right? So we want to just keep our distance, reinforce the dog for being calm. If your dog is really excited to see your kid, I'm feeling good. If your dog is indifferent, that is bad. Indifference equals bites later in a lot of cases. Okay. So people will say to me, my dog was fine until he wasn't fine. He was indifferent. You're either happy or you're not. So that is something we want to look for. Kids are little and they look like blobs and they sit in their bucket chairs and we carry them around. Then they start to crawl and then they can encroach on a dog or cat's face. Then we say they walk, but they don't. They go from crawling to running like a bat out of hell at everything and climbing on everything. And that's really scary. And that's when the bites begin. 
the dogs and cats will usually start by running. We as parents don't watch our kids well enough and they end up getting bitten. So we want to know that progression. We want to look for indifference. We want to prepare our dogs well for, and our cats for the oncoming, you know, the baby who's going to be entering the house. And how do we do that? Family pet. Oh my gosh. If I forget this, I'm going to be so upset. I believe it's family pet. They are an excellent resource and I can get to Justine. I can get you like the resource to put like in the show notes or whatever. They're really your first resource and they have certified trainers who can come out to your house to help you prepare and introduce. And here's what I want to tell you finally about this. Well, there's two books. There's Doggies, Do's and Don'ts from Emily Levine. And there's Nikki Tudge's book, T-U-D-G-E. It's like the comprehensive guide to dog and child interaction, something like that. It's got a long name. You'll find it on Amazon. There's also Colleen Paylar's book, P-L-A-R. Get those three books so you can prepare your kids. And this is the final thing I'll leave you with, really and truly, is that your dog or cat should not have to tolerate misbehavior from your child, right? So it's not okay. It's not a badge of honor to say my little child, I'll just use my daughter's name, Isabella pulls on Maverick's tail and he doesn't react. That's not a badge of honor. That is a badge of shame for you. Okay. Who wants to have their tail pulled? Nobody. Now we can't always control our kids because they're wild things, right? And they don't have the cognitive ability to even understand half of what we're telling them and they don't have impulse control but it is our responsibility to practice proactive supervision and separation and protect the animals from just our kids' lack of knowledge, if that makes sense. And I really advocate for people, when in doubt, talk to a veterinarian, talk to a veterinary behaviorist if you're concerned, because we always want to make sure we make that adjustment, whether or not it's to a new dog, a new cat, a new child, as seamlessly and happy as possible, just because we want to keep everyone in the environment. And I hate for a pet to be surrendered um, when it could have potentially been worked on in the beginning to make it a more seamless process. Yeah. And if you're at that point, right, seek help. If someone judges you, shame on them, seek help, because I know that anyone who thinks about relinquishing their pet is troubled, it's hard, it's traumatic. There is always an answer, like totally I'm telling you, always an answer. Agreed. You know, it was so interesting when James was born, someone who's an acquaintance said to me, oh, are you going to surrender your dog? I was like, no, God, no. Why would I do that? (laughs) You know, it wasn't that they don't have pets, so they just didn't understand the concept at all. But when in doubt, there's always a behavioral modification. And, you know, it was a seamless process. We had a couple of hiccups. We had a couple of bumps, but thankfully everything ended up working out. But it just makes me like cringe when I see those pictures on social media. And there's so much we can do just to make sure our kids aren't getting bitten. That's very traumatic for the child, obviously for everyone involved. So we want to make sure to minimize that. Yeah. Dr. Radasa, any last thoughts that you want to leave with us? I guess I want to leave you with, look, pets are people too. They need to be emotionally well and healthy. And I want you to really look at your pet and see if your pet has the healthiest, happiest life. And if not, go to your vet because there's always solutions to every problem. Love it. Thank you so much for all that you do. And again, for being on our show today. I know our our dog and cat owners out there loved it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you bringing this to everybody's attention. Thank you. 
Well, that brings me to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee or email me your questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time. And again, we want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Dr. Lisa Radasta and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.